Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, the combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight announcements, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 261 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined, as always, by my amazing co-host, Victor Rodriguez. And today, we're going to talk about UFC Noche. We're going to talk about UFC 293. And a little bit later, we're going to discuss the TKO merger that has officially bound the UFC and the WWE together. And in that bonus content section, we will be giving away a $25 Amazon gift card. So be paying attention. But first, Victor, how's it going? How's your week? My week is good. I'm still buzzing after watching Blue Beetle. If you guys haven't seen this, I I, well, I refuse to shut up about Blue Beetle. That movie was so fucking good. That <laughs> was so fun. Oh my really? I like that kid. He's in Karate Kid. I love that show. And so I kind of want to see it because I like the kid. Well, you know what's funny is that Marvel movies have gotten a little too comfortable with being more like pro-military and all that. Um, this gets a little, there's there's a lot of oddly subversive shit that I was surprised by, but like just everything was, this was, this hit a lot of really strong beats, especially if you come from an immigrant background. It, it's really, really that dope. So even if you're not, it's a lot of fun. And Susan Sarandon needs to be in more things. I don't care how many how many credits? I wish you were like Little Wayne. I hope she. I hope she's in like everything, every other show. I, I want to see her in. <laughs> How did Bug like it? Uh, he loved it. Although he did get really, really sad because again, there was some very unexpected emotional shit, and I won't oh. say where. Okay. Um, but yeah, it it was great from the fight choreography to the music to the visual design. Like they nailed so much, and uh, it was perfect. That's awesome. We'll have to we'll have to look into seeing that as well. First though, we have to look back at UFC 293 because here we are just a few days out and we are in the middle of the Sean Strickland era. What what did you think when you watched that main event? I don't know that I'm really too partial to thinking of these things as eras. You know what I mean? Like to me, era implies that this is over a sustained period of, you know, a couple of title defenses and things like that. But this is just a dude holding the belt right now. You know, we thought that maybe O'Malley looked a bit vulnerable holding that belt. We thought that maybe Esparza looked very vulnerable holding her belt when she beat Rose, you know, and whatever that fight was. Maybe the fact that despite the thrilling holy shit moment in that first round, despite that, it wasn't the, the most... Um, it wasn't the most explosive fight. It didn't end with a bang. It ended largely, you know, just with very, very basic striking fundamentals, cutting the ring off, cutting the cage off, 
negating offense and then using boxing. That was really all we saw. It didn't end with a sensational knockout like when Pereira knocked out uh, Izzy. It didn't end with uh, some wild submission out of nowhere. It just kind of happened. And I'm not saying that it was boring. I'm not saying that it was bad. It just... Oh, it it, was was bad. It was bad, though. Well, I mean, I should clarify. Okay, it it was a smart performance, but that does not mean that it was an exciting fight. And that's really where the whole thing kind of, you know, it loses a lot because the dude did what he had to do to win. He played it. He got everything right. He played it fair and he won it. Congratulations to him. But man, that that kind of takes a bit of the shine off it. If it wasn't for the story behind it, would anyone really be uh, surprised or thrilled or really feeling anything about this? I don't know. And, and this is kind of an odd spot because the UFC kind of, you know, they like brash and loud and they like uh, big redemption stories. But is this exactly that? I'm not sure. Here's the thing. the I thought the fight was bad because, one, there were long pregnant pauses in the action because Strickland was so methodical in his approach that he was not going to deviate. And I must salute Eric Nixick for his incredible coaching there because he coached him to an easy and I am saying easy victory he had the perfect game plan because we all know Izzy lives breathes and dies off the counter and if you back him up that's that's his problem too is he does not have a whole lot of cage awareness he's so confident in his counter that he's willing to back straight up into the cage rather than circle out because he did not do that when Sean aggressed and advanced, he put his back on the cage and Izzy allowed it. And when he did, and when Sean closed that space and closed that distance and put them in the phone booth, he lit Izzy up every time he landed. Izzy never once landed a punch on Sean that one did any visible damage to him and two put him on roller skates because there were a couple of times when Sean cracked Izzy that he was clearly wobbled now that one time when he in the first round that when he got the knockdown Obviously, that was the biggest moment, but he had several other moments where he was cracking the shit out of Izzy and Izzy was wobbled a little bit or he got his head turned around or he got put on the back foot. And Izzy, not willing to commit to getting in that pocket and going for broke, Man, it did not seem like a typical Izzy performance to me, but I don't want to take anything away from Sean's performance. And I'm not a fan of Sean. I picked Israel going in, but anyone with two eyes can see that Sean had the perfect performance and Israel looked, I don't even want to say off because that that's how he fights. Yeah, he was made to look off. That's the exactly. thing. Exactly. Follow it with a guy who's got his kind of cardio and is coachable and listens. Mm-hmm. 
Also, uh, them uh, saying in in um, Strickland's corner, Nick. I, I don't know if it was Nick Sick or one of the other ones. They referred to Israel as a snake charmer. Boy, that is an apt description because of his fight style and the way he, you know, moves and everything gets in and gets out, and head movement and everything like that. That's a, a pretty apt description. Yeah, Anderson Silva was good at that too. But let us all stop with the greatest of all time comparisons to Anderson Silva with Israel Adesanya because uh, that's a bridge too far right now. Well, yeah, I mean, it kind of was for a while. And, you know, you look at the fact that he's uh, the fact that he's been the way that he's been losing. It's one thing to lose. A guy goes out on a shield. He wins big. But when he loses, things like this happen. And, you know, I, I, I think I mentioned this when I picked uh, Israel. He's going to have more weapons. Well, one by one, Strickland was taking those weapons away. He was checking. He was holding. Shout out to Miguel Classic once again on Twitter. Doing the Lord's work and breaking that shit down, man. He was catching those kicks and making that shit look, like you said, easy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Establish the range. You can't keep it where you want. Well, then this guy's going to come in and he's going to take it. He's going to hit you. And he was doing that. And, and it's not just the usual, I'm just going to throw a one-two. No, you can, you can throw a little something behind that. And it, it just, it was a very focused, disciplined, and methodical performance. And, you know, that's, that's, it's all fair and good. I don't see where, I, I'm, I'm also in the same camp as you were like, I don't want to say too much about what Israel did wrong because Sean did so many things right. Mm-hmm. And didn't end in the, 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 the fireworks fashion that perhaps we would prefer in some of these situations. Doesn't make the passing of the torch any less valid. That's right. Absolutely right. Where do you think we put Strickland now? Uh, who do we put in there with him? And I thought it was incredibly interesting in the post-fight presser. And I don't know if you got to see that. But in the post-fight presser, someone asked Sean, they said something to the effect of, now that you're champion, you won't be able to fight as frequently as you like to because you keep a really busy schedule. So bearing that in mind, when would you like to fight next and who would you like them to put in here? And he didn't answer at all other than to say, now we both know the UFC tells me who to fight and where. And that's interesting to me because it seems to me like Sean is just going to be one of those guys that toes the line. So, bearing that in mind, who would you like to see him fight next? I mean, this is probably the most negotiating power he's ever had. I don't think he's had much bargaining because his performances have not been that awesome you know, to watch. You can't really assemble as much of a highlight reel with him as you would some other guys, but you know, hey, he's got the belt now. Who knows? He's got a little bit more pacing here. I think, I think right now what we would need to do, number one, Israel needs to fight Drakus. Get that out of the way mm-hmm. now. Strike while the iron's hot. Just let that happen. Let that be a thing. Number two, Strickland should probably fight Cannoneer. I mean, you know, Cannoneer, he's one, two straight. Uh, you know, it's a, it sets up a rematch with Strickland, right? They already fought before. Would it be the most exciting fight? I mean, I don't know. Like Jared won a split decision against him. Yeah, that uh, he's the last guy to beat Strickland. He just did, he just did that like nine months ago. And there you go. So I mean, you have that, and then the win against Vittori. I mean, 
look at the standings right now as of the time of this recording. And uh, at middleweight, we're looking at Adesanya gets to number one, of course. Duplessis at number two. Uh, Whitaker at three. I don't know. where. I guess he's still in limbo. Uh, Cannoneer at four. Vittori at five. So, you know, if they decide to do that Costa versus uh, uh, versus uh, Vittori thing, maybe if that doesn't happen, maybe Vittori can fight. He already fought Whitaker. I, look, that doesn't really matter as much as the big two up at the top. So, you know, that's probably the best move right now. Strickland Cannoneer should, in my view, would probably be the fairest thing to do. I like that. What do you think of Strickland versus the winner of Costa Chimaev? That's the thing, though. Chimaev, like, you, you got to shit or get off the pot, man. Is he coming back, and where is he going? Or you, you keep talking all this shit <laughs> about how you want to go to you, you, you want to come back to welterweight. You're calling out all these welterweights like, motherfucker, no, your coach already said, and all these other people around you say middleweight. Like, you got to choose one. So we can sort this thing out because he can't do, he's not even ranked at middleweight from what I'm seeing here, because I mean, when was the last time he fought there? It's been a long goddamn time. So uh, if they do Chimaya versus Costa. Well, they are on October 21st at UFC 294. I guess what I'm trying to say is if, if it actually happens. Ah, okay. I was under the impression you didn't know it was already like officially made. That's my fault. I I phrased it. I phrased it in a manner that was, that would, of course, I, I see now why. Yeah. No, if that actually happens, which I don't even know, uh, I, 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 I'm not going to believe it until they're both in the cage and the bell ring. You know what I mean? If that actually happens, I don't know that that's enough for a number one contender fight. I would agree. But um, we all know that it doesn't matter uh, about what's uh, meritorious or anything, <laughs> because this is not a meritocracy. No, that's that's true. I mean, you you that that's you, you did ask what I would do, um, but but also we should mention that you got to look at the fact that Costa, his last win was last August against Luke Rockhold, a very shot Luke Rockhold who got some good moments in there. So uh, if you want to give him a title shot off a win there and then a, a follow up against a guy who has not fought at middleweight since what the pandemic started, I mean, do we really want to do that? Is this where we want to go? I don't know that I like that. That don't sound great to me. Well, I'll tell you what Dana White wants to do. Dana White wants to immediately run it back. And I don't like that idea. It would be different if there was uh, a split and it was super close. Or if it was a flash knockdown or something. I mean, flash knockout, like, you know, quick in the first round, just got caught just right, whatever. But there was nothing controversial about this. There was no question. I mean, I was so over the moon when all three judges agreed that it was 49-46, which was my score. Hell yeah. I mean, that was something to cheer right there, just that the judges saw it basically the way everyone saw it. And <laughs> they finally got it right. Yay. Exactly. So, you know. <laughs> oh, what a fucking clown shoes ass for. We got to celebrate. We got to stand up and cheer when they do the right goddamn thing. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. But yeah, Dana wants to run it back immediately. And of course we know why. Because he wants his money maker, Israel Adesanya, who is 
probably the third biggest or maybe even uh, on par with John Jones because you know you've got your Conor McGregor at the sitting at the top when Nate Diaz was around Nate Diaz did good numbers you got John Jones and here you know you've got Israel Adesanya who can sell pay-per-views Sean Strickland is a man unto himself right now. He's an island right now. We don't know what kind of uh, pay-per-view sales Sean will be able to sell. I asked John Nash about this, and he seems to think that at some point, if Sean keeps the belt on him, he could probably sell decent enough, you know, a couple hundred, three, four hundred thousand in the United States domestically, but that he will not sell well internationally. That's John Nash's take on it. Uh, seems, I, I, it yeah. seems like a, a reasonable take, and I, I would tend to agree. Mm-hmm. Well. Um, but I, I don't like the idea of the immediate rematch. Daniel Cormier also came out and said the same thing, and I agree with him. You know, there, there was nothing about this that left the question, who won? No. Not at all. No, I mean, it's it was a very clear-cut win. And it, for those out there saying, but, oh, he had this incredible run, you know, he's stayed undefeated at middleweight for so long. But in his last three fights, he's dropped two of them. That also is a factor here at play. So when when you take all of these external factors and you throw them into the hat, and you pull out the magic number. That magic number is that Israel needs to have one or two more fights before he gets to compete for the belt again. But it's not going to play out that way because Dana and Endeavor and the brass at UFC want Israel in there, making them that money. Yep, yeah, that sounds about it. I mean, there's, there's not really much else to it. And running it back, I mean... I just, I don't really, do we really expect things to be that much different? And what kind of turnaround are we talking about? Right. <clears throat> anyway, there were some other fights on this card. Uh, you know, Alexander Volkov is looking like a million fucking bucks, right? Yeah, he was straight money on that one, man. I felt bad for Ty. Me I mean, too. Golly. Ty, all the love he got and the, the lead up to this and everybody behind him and you're just like man i want to see him at least do well he did not do well nope and that's a shame you know he just it, it happens man look the other guy just fought better it's what it is you can't really take any uh major umbrage with that we really really gotta work on tai tuivasa though man is it is it do we still have time Maybe. is he not at what point at what point is a guy just said in his ways you know what i mean like if this was his "Quote unquote best camp ever," and I know. Spare me the angry emails. I know. <laughs> Fuckers always out here saying this was the best camp of my life. Everything's on point. I'm out with my friends. We're keeping it clean. Blah blah blah. And still, like, what what are we looking at here? What are we? What needs to change? And who is going to be? Um, I I don't know. I don't know how he does that. I don't know why he turned this shit around. And does he have it in him? Yeah. I don't know. But you know what? Volkov has come a long way. And Volkov looks so much better. And 
I don't know if it was due to a camp change because, you know, he lives and trains in Las Vegas permanently now. Oh. Yeah. And so Volkov's a little older than Tai Tuivasa. You know, I, I just, I am of the firm belief of the new shoes theory. You know, new shoes always make you go a little faster, make you run a little faster. Maybe a new camp will make you a little better. Right. But... Man, it just seems like Tai Tuivasa is becoming stagnant. And I don't like that because he's such a great guy. I want to yeah. see great guys succeed. Yeah, I mean, if he's if he's not going to do that much better from here on in, I'd like to at least see him move on to mm -hmm. something where he can be like, I don't know, man, doing some comedy or something. Something that pays him a lot of money and he ain't got to get punched in the fucking head no more. Right. You know what I mean? what i want man i couldn't agree more now manel cop just barely getting by felipe dos santos wow dos santos made a fucking fan of me right how about you that dude was good he dude was, was good. insane he was so like a ball of energy you just could not put him down you could not keep him away he everything manel threw at him he was eating it and returning it you know when you bring in a guy who was supposed to be on contender series and he ends up fighting like a main roster guy a ranked guy mm -hmm. and he looks like that you got something very special on your hands and i think that the only true benefit from this loss is that at least it was a good loss because mm -hmm. it was to a good guy and you acquitted yourself marvelously you showed that you can hang maybe just maybe i would hope that they tear up the contender series contract since he didn't get the fight there and that they pay him and with an actual contract hopefully a little nicer i don't have high hopes of this happening but i live in hope you know what i mean i gotta have something and, and, and just some kind of fucking faith that these guys get somebody you know, break this man off, man. Give him some. Give him a fucking chunk. Look what he did in there. Mm -hmm. uh, just, you know, you, you can tell this dude came from fucking nothing. Give him something. Agreed. Justin Taffa. Holy moly. Okay, I saw a comment that made me laugh so hard. Justin Taffa is the most Mexican-looking New Zealander I've ever seen because of his little mustache. <laughs> and I laughed at that. That made me laugh so hard. Especially... When that's not true. was that? That's not true. The most Mexican looking, uh, uh, the most Mexican looking New Zealander is Cliff Curtis, who was uh, the dude who you see him on. Uh, what was he on? Fear the Walking Dead and Training Day. He was one of the Mexicans in Training oh, Day. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know. Yeah, he could pull it off though. Good for him. He plays. He's played everything. He's played a Saudi. He's played an Iranian. He's probably played an Italian or whatever. I mean, that yeah. dude can pull child support better than me. And let me tell you something. That's <laughs> a lot i've been watching that dude since uh once we're warriors mm. have you ever seen that i know what you're talking about but i ain't seen it oh it's so good you 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 should watch that all right uh so anyways it was really funny that you know this was a rematch and the 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 reason why is because Austin Lane, I poked Justin Taffa so much they had to stop the fight. It went to a no contest. So this was a rematch that happened back in March. And wasn't it funny that in like the first 20 seconds, Austin Lane poked him in the eye again? You know what, man? 
<laughs> That's why I tweeted what I did when he finished him. I was like, Justin Toffa fucking hates iPokes. This is one of those, like, uh, here we go. The fuck not yet. Like, you know, like, come on. Now you flew all the way around the world to this man's house to do this, to have this shit happen. You know, like, come on, guys. Can we please? Can we just, you know, something? You know, not have as much of this this fuckery but that's this is this is what you end up with in these weight classes man it's a fucking mess but yeah i'm I'm glad that it wasn't some long-term thing and the fight was mercifully short austin lane is crazy tough but once you find that button on him man you put him in there against a guy that hits hard enough Mm. concerning that this dude has had some concerning knockout losses yeah i would i would say that austin lane is not long for the ufc but you never know. Um, we get to Tyson Pedro defeating Anton Turkali. Listen, please, please take Anton Turkali out of the UFC. Put him back on the regionals and never bring him back. Because he's not built for this. I don't even know if he's built for this sport. I I don't I don't know that that's entirely like I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't agree with that necessarily. I do. I, that, I do. I, I, would agree. <laughs> I would agree that he probably should get his walking papers because I, I don't know. I can't remember. I was talking to somebody about this a couple of weeks ago. There is a strain of guy that gets brought up way too early on a contender series. And I think we had an interaction the other day as well regarding mm-hmm. this. Yes. I think you asked, like, why is this guy in the UFC? I'm like, well, look, you got a couple of bomb finishes on the regionals. You look good on contenders here, and then that's it. You can come on in. We're just filling in cheap labor. We just come on into the thresher. Everybody into the mulcher. Let's go. The water's fine. Jump in. And that's what they're doing. And that's how you end up with situations like this where you have a young talent, a lot of potential, great athleticism, pretty good instincts at the base level, but then they're fighting dudes that they have no business fucking fighting. This guy should have had another four or five fights before you get into the UFC, and then you put him in with someone who's a little more comparably experienced, right? And that is where my question was, because it was kind of a rhetorical question, but it it was basically, how did he get here when he doesn't have the clear experience? It, It was definitely rhetorical, but I'm glad you answered that way because it allowed other people to see the, the meat grinder, because not a lot of people understand how, how, the feeder league that is contender series works and and that right there anton Turkali is a perfect example everything victor just said about the way that they bring people up way too fast through there and just throw them into the deep end like this this is what you get this was his third fight in the ufc it was also his third loss all three were finishes and the worst part about it is that I don't know how many fans are going to see this and be like, well, you know what? He could probably leave, win some more outside of the uh, UFC and then come back. Yeah. don't. People are going to see this and be like, oh, that guy just fucking sucked and write him off entirely, which is unfair. Um, I think he does kind of suck. Have, just watch his reaction when he gets hit. His reaction is to curl up. He's not built for this sport. I'm sorry. He might have gotten lucky. And I haven't done a deep dive on his record or the records of his previous opponents, but I'd be willing to bet there's a lot of padding going on there. A lot. 
because yeah. his reaction to getting hit is just wow. I, it's it would be like my reaction to getting hit by Tyson Pedro. That's what it looked like. Yeah, there's there's less padding than the usual, but by and large, the contender series guys, there are some dudes that just sneak in there. Mm-hmm. They don't. They are not. They they are just. Yeah. <laughs> the, so many of them have opponents in common. You're like, wait, he beat the same scrub as this dude and this dude and this dude, <laughs> right? Doing just for full disclosure, guys, we're not doing the, the the previews that I've been doing traditionally for the last few years for contender series. I am keeping up. Um, after the fact, and you know, I, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of the same tendencies. But the most disturbing one of all is the fact that the standards have been lowered. Now they're just letting guys in. Before it's like, you know, we all remember Brendan Lochnan, right? He yeah. won. The next, it was a thrilling fight. He showed everything he needed to show as a pro, but he won by decision, and he didn't get to finish. And Uncle Dana didn't like that. Now they let motherfuckers in, like just sure, okay, let's go. And especially at middleweight, because they need middleweights. Yeah. It's not a fucking mystery. Follow where the money is and follow the Walmart model. There you go. That's what we got. Don't ever get it. Don't do not get that shit twisted. That is exactly what this is. Then we had Carlos Ulberg defeating Darwin Young. That was a great performance for Carlos Ulberg. He got a submission now. This is, I, I like watching his progression. It was a good fight. Darwin Young is not a scrub. He's not a ham and egger. So that was a great win for Carlos. Uh, Chepe Mariscal getting the win over Jack Jenkins. Wow. Nice KO there. But I uh, I got to hand it to the crew over at MMA on point. I was not that familiar with Chepe's background in terms of what he did prior to MMA. Golden gloves, judo, black belt, yeah. jitsu, high level. You know, and then he's like, he was at the American kickboxing team. I'm like, this guy's like, this motherfucker's done everything. Yep. Like, that's a problem. I, I mean, I'd seen him in MMA. I just didn't know he had that kind of thing behind him. Like, that explains so much. That made me feel so bad for Jack Jenkins and what turned out to be, you know, we saw more good performances than good fights. You know what I'm saying? Like, there right. weren't too many of these that were. Yes, yeah. that's an that's not that's not the worst thing, but I mean that's yeah. an excellent way to put it. Though we saw a lot of great performances inside of a lot of not so great fights. Now let's like- let's take a quick look at another guy that I feel is number one not built for the UFC and number two maybe not built for the sport. Blood Diamond, that dude sucks. Blood Diamond, see, what you what you have here is another kickboxer that made waves out in the Oceanus and tried to make the crossover to MMA and it ain't working. Nope. And look, there's no shame in that. Sometimes this shit happens. And sometimes it's, you know, is it his fault? Is it is it his coaching? Is it matchmaking exactly? Because you put him in there against a guy who is mostly a wrestler. And then last fight was Orion Kashi, who's also mostly a wrestler. Uh that's not good. <laughs> You're not making the best decisions. As to, you want to show the guy, showcase him as a star, or do you want to throw him into the mulcher early? I don't really think there were that many plans for anything. This is just what they did. And, yeah, he ate it. Yes, he did. All right. So that's going to wrap up our review of UFC 293. I know we spun off a little bit and went a little longer than we normally do, but I feel like it was an important card to discuss. Uh, 
Right now, we're going to look ahead to UFC Noche. UFC Fight Night Grasso versus Shevchenko 2. We have selected some fights to look at here from all over the cart. The first one we are going to look at is Tracy Cortez versus Jasmine Jasuda Vicious. I am going to go with Jasmine Jasuda Vicious. I know that she's coming off a loss. But Tracy Cortez is still kind of, Oh, she's not coming off a loss. I'm thinking of somebody else. Excuse me. Um, Tracy Cortez is still, in my opinion, a work in progress. And I don't know. I just feel like this is going to be a little bit too much for her. So I'm going to go with Tracy. And I also have to note here that her wins, um, she's got some good wins here. Melissa Gatto, uh, Justine Kish. Yeah, that's not so great. Uh, Stephanie Eggers, a good one. Vanessa Mello is a good one. So I, I'm, I'm looking at these. Wow, she has a win over Erin Blanchfield. That's going to hold up really well. But the the point she got Aaron Blanchfield very early in her career, so let's let's not forget that. But I don't know. I just feel like Tracy Cortez isn't gonna have enough for Jasmine Jasudovicius. So that's who I'm taking. Yeah, I think Jasmine just has much more of that hard nose approach. You know, when you have that kind of smash mouth wrestling combined with the I'm going to walk forward and punch you in your fucking mouth. And guess what? I've got ring. Um that plus the volume plus the clinch i think it's going to be it might be overwhelming here and uh yeah i i i like a lot of what uh tracy does i think that jasmine though probably probably a step or two ahead on this all right next up we are gonna pick roman copyloft versus josh fremd wow this is a gangbusters fight I am a huge fan of Roman Kopilov. I love watching this guy fight. He doesn't know the definition of quit. Goes tooth and nail hard in the paint. Every single fight gets right in the pocket. He's not a defensive specialist by any means, but man, is he fun to watch. Uh, he has taken on Josh Fremd, who is tough as nails. Golly. I'm going to take Roman Kopilov, but man, that's a tight fight right there. That is a really good fight. I just kind of feel, again, there's levels and there's degrees of experience, right? Kopilov and Fremd don't have records that are too dissimilar from each other, 11 and 2 and 11 and 4. But then you kind of look at the guys that they've been fighting and the way that they've been defeating their opponents. That's where, you know, despite having some stumbles early on in the UFC run, Kapilov, man, he's turned that shit around. The way he dispatched Akiriko, the way he blew the doors off of Soriano, who's super tough. The way that he head kicked Claudio Hibero and sent that dude packing. I mean, that that's some that's some bullshit, man. You look at his previous finishes in Fight Nights Global, and you look at the guys that he was fighting there, it's like shit it's very different from some of the wins that friend has been racking up and i get it look i know i always bring up the whole mma math thing but what i mean is that again quality of opposition strength of schedule that stuff adds up over time could friend potentially upset the apple cart absolutely he's got his wrestling he hits pretty hard he can fight smart keep things nice and close but i can't bank on it i'm gonna go a couple of all right i should note that 
Mookie is taking Jasmine Jasudovicius and Roman Kopilov. Now, next up, we are picking another ladies' fight. Lupita Godinez, Lupi Lou, is taking on Elise Reed. I am taking Lupi. Y'all know I love her. No explanation needed. I always pick her. I love her. Uh, Mookie is taking... Hang on, I have to look now. Um, he is also taking Loopy. Victor, how are you going to weigh in here on this one? I'm going to go with Elise Reed. Uh, wrestling experience be damned. I, I kind of got to give it to her because wrestling is not just wrestling. Some people cut the corner a little better. Some people establish control and get that overhook and, you know, stuff to take down a little stronger. I think Reed has it. And not only that, but Reed also has her boxing a little more. It's a little more composed with her striking game. And I kind of, I can't go against that, man. Come on. Let's, that's just, that's just what we've got. All right. Um, let's see here. We have Raul Rosas Jr. taking on Terrence Mitchell. I kind of feel like maybe this was a gimme fight for Raul Rosas. However... We thought that once before, and guess what happened? I'm I'm not going to be thinking like that anymore because Raul Rosas lacks one thing, and that's veteran savvy, veteran experience. So I am taking him, but I'm never counting anybody out in there against him again. How about that? Why you got to give him Terrence Mitchell? Like. <laughs> Well, I mean, I get why. Don't get me wrong. Like, okay, right. so so let's be fair here. Terrence Mitchell, yeah, he does have a a, a better record at the fourteen and three, but he's not. I mean, there's no real polite way to. There's the, the most the most diplomatic way I can put this is he's not the most well put together fighter. Um, he, this is the guy who was on Ultimate Fighter season twenty four. He got blasted by Kai Car France after talking mondo shit. No shame there, right? Because Kai is you know world class. But then he goes out into the wilderness. He goes, fucks off back to Alaska. He comes back and he loses to Cameron Simon. So, like, we're back in the same, you know, we've seen his ceiling. And maybe Raul and his grappling might be that much of an overwhelming tidal wave that he can't, a tidal wave that he can't overcome. Yeah. I maybe. like when you say, I, let me, how do I say this diplomatically? Because I already know when you preface anything with that phrase that you get ready to lay somebody down to their atoms. <laughs> I got to be, I got to be polite. These motherfuckers, are, they're actually getting in the cage. I'm just some dude sitting in his underwear in his fucking house. You understand? I got, <laughs> I got Cheetos things up my fingers and shit. I got, <laughs> you know what I mean? I got edible rappers lying the fuck around. I can't, I can't how am I going to sit here and talk shit? No, no, I can't do that. So uh, yeah, I, I try to be nice. What can I tell you? All right. Well, Mookie is also taking Raul Rosas Jr., so all three of us are in agreement there. We get to the co-main event. I like this co-main event. Kevin Holland versus Jack Della Maddalena. Now, Jack Della Maddalena was made to look very mortal in his last fight. It went to a split decision. He fought, um, what's his name, Basil. And you know what? Basil made a fan of me in that loss. Just like Dos Santos made a fan of me and his loss to Manel Cop. But I was watching that fight and I thought to myself, wow, Jack Della Maddalena needs a little work. 
he's getting touched up and you know he's getting drawn into stupid situations etc i think kevin holland's gonna win hmm. i know that's crazy but i do so i'm gonna take I, kevin holland well, i disagree on one thing i don't think it's crazy at all really i mean look at how he was a nibble look at how he beat kiesa like this dude kevin holland man dude can still he's not he's not done and a guy like Jack will present a lot of challenges, but he could take them. I don't doubt that. But I'm still picking Jack. Mm-hmm. I just like Jack. Just I don't know. Maybe his form of striking and his ability to kind of switch things up on the fly makes him a different kind of threat that would give him fits and allows him to edge out a fight against somebody like Holland. But I'm I know that I'm probably going to be wrong on this. In fact, I usually am. But I'm I'm willing to be upset with this. Well, what I was noticing with Jack Della Maddalena is um, round one, round one, round one, round one, round one, round two, round two, round one, round one, round one, round two, round two, round one, round one, round one, round one. He gets to literally his first fight, second fight. You know, he's only had a couple of fights. One, two, two fights that have gone the distance. Two who okay and he gets the second one you know yes it went to a split and he won it but that's the point it went to a split basil hafiz took him to a fucking split and he looked damn good in there against jack della madalena with these round one round one round one round one round two round one round one round you know what i'm saying and it's got me thinking kevin holland is a veteran Kevin Holland can can finish you anywhere, and Kevin Holland can go the distance. Yeah, I'm going to take Kevin Holland. I know it's probably not advisable, but I'm going to do it anyways. Mookie is taking Jack Della Maddalena. Victor is taking Jack Della Maddalena. We get to the main event. Alexa Grasso taking on Valentina Shevchenko in the rematch. I thought Alexa was winning that fight before she submitted um, Valentina. I thought she was sparking her up with her striking. Yes, sir. I know a lot of people were like, eh, Valentina was winning that fight. No, she was not. She was not. I gave her, I think, one round. Pretty sure I gave her one round, but I don't feel like she was winning that fight. I am taking Alexa Grasso. Mookie is taking Valentina. Victor, how are you going? Going with Alexa again. I mean, I keep saying it all the time. Another one of my cliches. Put it up on the board. The worst thing that can happen to a fighter, the kiss of fucking death, is getting figured out. Yep. Valentina been figured out. Yeah. And that's just that. It's Grasso and her team are really, really good with most of their reach. And... They got it. They figured out how to what Valentina's tendencies are. There's so much tape for them to study and evaluate, and now they just got to add more wrinkles to their game. And so, yeah. All right. So me and Victor are going with Alexa Grasso, and Mookie is going with Valentina Shevchenko. That wraps up our UFC Noche predictions, and that wraps up the regular portion of our show. If you are a Substack subscriber, stick around. We will be right back with some headlines and our introduction of our first 
Amazon gift card giveaway contest, so we will be right back. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection main card and prelims UFC preview shows, the sixth round post-fight show, the Show Money podcast, and the MMA depressed us.